This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you. Your chance to hear from the experts, the insiders and the industry. Get some great recipe ideas and, of course, share your questions as well as we talk all things food. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Delighted to be talking food with Sarah Abdullah. She is a Welsh. I'm going to let her explain because she describes herself as being almost like a, a modern day nomad, um, talking about some wonderful recipes for Eid. She's a woman behind Cooking with Zara. Um, and, well, before we start talking about, uh, about Eid recipes, you know what I'm going to ask you, Zara. What's, what are some of the sweet treats that remind you of your childhood? Hey, Helen, how are you? Good, thank you. Oh, my. I had a feeling you were going to ask me that question. You know what? Um, it's, it's, it's a very general uh, candy bar, but we loved it. And it, I don't know if he'll give it away where I grew up in, but a lion's bar. A lion bar. So it's got kind of yeah. like, like, the, like the rice krispies inside and caramel and covered in chocolate. Mm. Yes, and the wafer in the middle. Yeah, it doesn't give was, it away at was... all. But I mean, one, what we're really talking about this afternoon throughout the show is where is home. And that's what we're what everybody's sharing on this afternoon. Many of us finding it really hard to answer that question. Maybe we've called the UAE home for an awful long time. We've raised our children here. Um, but it's a confusing thing. Maybe our parents came from somewhere else. We've lived here for so long, we don't really remember where we belong. So it's not the easiest question to answer. Um, and we'd love to get your take on this as well. So, Zara, as I said, you describe yourself as well, a modern-day Bedouin. So here goes the question. Where are you from? So I recently watched uh, a, 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 an amazing TEDx talk where it said, where are you from? And usually we associate it to our nationality. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very mixed background. I'm half Iranian. I'm half Sudanese. I was born in London. My Sudanese heritage is a mishmash of Portuguese, Indian, Turkish, uh, Egyptian. So it's just a, a really a mishmash of so many different identities. And so I say home is where I feel like where I'm the lo- a local of, uh, mm. where I feel like it's a local. I'm, I like I know the alleys, I know the store shop owners, I know I know the little you know the little secret spots that you only know if you've lived somewhere. Mm. And I feel like I'm I am where I am from where I live. And so for me, home Dubai has been home for the past sixteen years. And you know what? I have some of the most nostalgic memories driving down parts of the city that I haven't visited in maybe ten years. But it just feels like home because I'm part of this whole progress of seeing how Dubai has evolved so amazingly and incredibly over the last 16 years. So I think home is where the heart is. And for me, my heart is here in Dubai. Oh, I love this. And as you said, 16 years ago, since you arrived in the Emirates, suitcase in hand, ready to build a life here. What are some of your earliest memories of life in the city? And I, of course, want to know about foodie memories as well. (laughs) You know, um, whenever I think about or when I get nostalgic of my days when I first came to Dubai, my senses really just take over. I remember that feeling when I got off the plane and I got that whiff of humidity, you know, and I, 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 I cheekily associated to that feeling you get when you open the oven, when you bake something, you know, that 
hits a heat wave that hits you. And it's a really nice feeling for me because that's, that's, that's that sense of feeling like I've arrived home. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to the fish market in Dira, I love, you know, going into that space and haggling and like, you know, interacting with the fish vendors and the fruits and vegetable vendors and just being part of that experience, that vibe, that energy. It's just really beautiful. Um, I love how this is such a beautiful city of so many like opposites, like polarities. It's a very traditional city, but it's a very modern city. It's a very Eastern, but a very Western city. And I love that about this city. It just, this is one of the reasons why it makes me feel like home because I feel I really identify with those um, characteristics of the city. Sarah, when you think about some of the first places you went to eat when you arrived 16 years ago, for me, <laughs> I was taken for lunch at Moor Cafe in Garhoud, and then we went to what was then Diafa Street and went to Amala for shawarma, for halloumi. I'd never had fatouche before. I'd never had taboule before. Um, and it was incredible, just sitting, watching the, watching the traffic, watching people go by. It was, it was, I will never forget that day. I, I admit the first one was more cafe, which is not like your, down, your authentic Arabian experience. Are there any of your favorite foodie places from back in the day that are still open now? You know, I have to say you hit, you hit, uh, hit it on the nail. My favorite place was the uh, Afat al-Mallah, which is uh, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in Satwa area. And, it was it was simple. It was beautiful. It was really nice food. Um, and you know what? The other day, I took my kid, uh, my eldest son, and I said, "Hey, should we go and have a cheeky shawarma together?" And I said, "This is where I first came to when I first moved to Dubai." And you know, we did it the same way. We parked the car, went in, grabbed their sandwich, went back into the car, and just you know enjoyed it, uh, uh, enjoyed it uh, together. And it was just a simple way of reminiscing on something that happened when I first moved. And so we shared a, a history, a moment, an experience together. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Delighted to be joined this afternoon to talk Eid feasts with Sarah Abdullah. She calls herself a modern-day Bedouin, um, half Iranian, half Sudanese, but has had the luxury of calling everywhere from Athens to Toronto home. She's married to a Jordanian man and has been in Dubai for 16 years and, of course, is the woman behind cooking with Zara. So Eid is just around the corner. Um, really exciting to be able to make plans and look forward to time with friends and family. And of course, food, Zara. So tell us a little bit about some of the dishes that you had growing up and things that you have today. So Eid was always a very important and exciting um, time for us. We'd always prepare well in advance, getting new clothes. And my cousins and I would always kind of look like uh, Siamese twins. Everybody's wearing the same dress and everyone's <laughs> excited for their uncles to come pass by and gift us uh, some money uh, and um, there was always traditions around food. Uh, there would always be like a traditional breakfast where we'd have a full brunch feast. Um, there'd be another day where it'd be about cooking up a, you know, a leg of lamb or, 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 or you know, any kind of lamb-based dish and a nice salad and rice. And one, another day, which is one of my favorites, is like a seafood feast. And living in Dubai... One of my favorite things was to go down to the Greek market uh, and fish market and uh, just going early in the morning, five, six in the morning and just buying everything that I could get my hands on from Sultan Ibrahim to a, a, a wonderful hamur fish, um, uh, Omani shrimps. And, and basically I'd come back home and I just make 
a, literally a feast for the family and we'd invite our friends and we'd be about easily 20 to 25 people wow. and I prepared you know I start you know I'd go to the fish market super early in the morning and uh by by the time I'd be home by 9 a.m I'd be cooking until like two and we'd be ready <laughs> and it's just so so much fun I know it sounds like a lot of work but for me that's really my 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 exciting source of joy and passion just mm-hmm. getting everyone around and feeding everyone and just seeing them happy when they're being fed um and those are the memories that I grew up with and those are the same memories that I want my kids to grow up with knowing that you know it's all about that social element that family gathering and that comes with the celebration and food are there any dishes in particular that were always reserved for this time of year that you would have no other day or special occasion it was just for Eid so actually I just prepared um, a special recipe and I will be sharing the full recipe online soon and it's this gorgeous... Oh my, by the um, way, just, just as a quick spoiler, we are on Microsoft Teams, so I can see Zara in her kitchen holding up this incredible platter that is full of, well, let's, you tell me what is in there and can you send some so over? It, <laughs> absolutely. So I, I've made this beautiful uh, braised um, lamb shoulder and it's just been braising for five, six hours on low fire. And it's served on a bed of Arabic spiced rice, lots of fragrant spices and flavors, and then topped with uh, fried nuts and dried fruit. And it's just a really beautiful, extravagant and flavorful recipe. And, you know, you just, you know, the, the, the lamb is so beautifully cooked that you just, it just literally melts off the bone. And, and what I love about this kind of food, it's, they're not difficult to make in the sense that it just, you assemble it quickly and you just let it sit mm-hmm. for a few hours on your own and just go and do whatever else you want. And then when you serve it, you just feel so much love that's being presented when you serve it. And everyone just loves it. It just makes everyone happy. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the recipe we're delving into today, which sounds very healthy, baked fish and rice. Tell us about the hamour first. <laughs> So whenever I think of hamour, I always think of Dubai. It's a very traditional fish that I got introduced to when I first moved here. And I consider it, I know it's not a kingfish, but I call it the king of fishes. It's just, it's just a very uh, beautiful, flavorful fish. And I, give, I, I spice it with wonderful spices um, and stuff it with coriander and lemon. And then I just bake it in the oven and I serve it with something that I grew up with uh, in Sudan, which is sayadiya rice. Now, there are so many different ways on how you can prepare this. But growing up in Sudan, we basically caramelized onions and then sauteed it with lots of beautiful spices like cloves, cardamom, black pepper, cinnamon stick, bay leaves. And these aromatics just contribute to the flavor of the rice. And so it's an, a caramelized onion-based rice served mm. with crispy rice, and it's beautiful with the hamour. So here I was able to incorporate some of my my traditions growing up in Sudan, and I built on it with new traditions that I've developed from living in the UAE and being introduced to local fish and then combining them to serve beautiful food for the family. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to, because we know the food industry has been really, really rocked by the pandemic. And uh, you were speaking there about bringing people together in social gatherings. You obviously have Zara's Kitchen, so that's food that we can have in our own home. And we're discussing supper clubs later as well. How do you feel like uh, things are going to hopefully change and progress and grow over the coming months on the social side? You know, I have to say it's been a really... I know it's been a difficult year for so many people, and I don't want to undermine 
how difficult also been for us. But overall, I have to say, I am a very blessed person. Um, we've been very lucky because, you know, my husband, who has never worked from home, is now working from home. I get to enjoy lunch with him, which I've never been able to do it. So I am, in general, the type of person that always likes to see the silver lining in every opportunity. And I think with that attitude, it just brings more more blessings down your way. And I do do my best to always see everything half full and half empty. Mm-hmm. Um, from a work point of view, I've had so many amazing collaborations and opportunities. Zahra's Kitchen, we've expanded uh, our, our offering and now we've launched the frozen food range. I feel like a lot of families are, you know, while they're staying at home, they're so overwhelmed with so many things that they just need one less thing to do on their checklist. And so the aim of Zahra's Kitchen Frozen Food is to be able to bring those emotional experiences of family and love and 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 good food and flavor, but simplifying it for the, for the everyday person. Um, and people are starting to slowly get comfortable to venture out. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, um, I think it's nice, but in the end of the day, we still need to be precautious and we need to be safe. And um, we need to find a new normalcy in this extremely uh, abnormal time. I mean, usually, typically, you and I, we'd be sitting next to each other and, in, and having a chat. I'd be, Here we I'd are be today eating tea, the lamb that you <laughs> I mean, can I just... You're saying your husband, you know, you're lucky to have time working from home and your husband work. How lucky is your husband having your food every day? I mean, I'd be like <laughs> not going back to the office anytime soon at all. Um, your your um, Instagram is just an absolute joy. It's at cooking with Zarek. And um, from one pot chicken, there's a pumpkin soup recipe I'm going to give a try. And the Persian spaghetti. Tell us a little bit about that because it looks incredible. I know if, if you are a traditionalist when it comes to preparing spaghetti, just turn your eye away from that video <laughs> and just don't look at it. But if you're open to experience new ways of preparing things, even though they're not traditional, this is one of our most favorite comfort foods growing up in Iran. It, we, we prepare the spaghetti like we would rice, where we parboil it and then we layer it with the sauce and then we steam cook it till the end and we have a beautiful layer of crispy potatoes on the bottom there's so many beautiful flavors we add saffron we add rose water uh, and i love serving it with a traditional salad shirazi salad which is basically a tomato cucumber onion and the vinaigrette is made from grape vinegar which is beautiful it's got this really nice kick to it and uh, you know again those are some of my you know, traditional, nostalgic, reminds me of my grandmother. It's simple comfort food. It's not something you'd have if you're hosting a, a, a fancy party, dinner party, but it's just that simple comfort it's food. You come home from school, everyone's at the table and you just eat it together. Happy food. Well, wishing you an early yeah. Eid Mubarak, Zara, you and your whole family. Thank you for being with us this Thank afternoon. Thank you. An absolute you, pleasure. And as I said, you can find Zara um, and indeed her recipes at Cooking with Zara. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. And let me know, how long have you been in the UAE? It's been about 14 and a half years for me. And 
Where is home? It's a question that often makes us stop and think. And joining us to discuss is Rhiannon Downeyhurst, the woman behind online community Home Club ME. She's also the woman behind Bride Club ME. It's an online home lifestyle resource, really, for residents here, as well as those from afar who seek to make the UAE and the surrounding Emirates home. Basically, she wants all of us to feel at home right here. Um, Rio, thank you so much for being with us. So, the, well, two obvious questions. One, what is the, the sweet of your childhood, the candy that makes you feel like you're five again? <laughs> I can't believe nobody mentioned flying saucers. <gasps> yes, flying <laughs> saucers. And there's always like the dust at the bottom of the jar. They were glorious. I still don't know what they're made of. Sometimes it's better just not to know. And where do you think of at home? How long have you been here and where, where gives you the home feels? Uh, so I've been, this month is my 13th year in Dubai. I can't believe it. Um, and I feel most at home where I feel grounded, mm-hmm. I guess. So wherever I kind of feel grounded at the time is home. But I, will, I, I still consider Dubai and London, England home, both of them equally at the moment. It is. It's so complicated, isn't it, for expats? You know, I think of home so where my parents are as being home but then I go and stay with them and I feel like I'm regressing to a 15 year old and you know everything's mm. the same that you know the town is pretty much the same there's a lot of the same faces but I've changed I'm a mum now I'm an adult now and I've spent most of my adult life living outside of the country and it's really really confusing to try and reconcile these identities especially when you have kids and suddenly you, you're in your parents home as a parent and it, it's it can be really, really a kind of a source of confusion and, and conflict. And the pandemic, you know, chuck a pandemic in the mix, Rio. You know, many of us not travelling for a year, and it's really made us think about where where home is. Where do you, where, when it comes to raising your son here, what have been some of the big benefits so far that you've experienced and enjoyed with him? Well, I mean, coming from London, <laughs> at a small town in um, in Northamptonshire. I would definitely say number one is the safety element. So, you know, just how safe and secure we feel here in Dubai and with my child. Um, you know, if he's playing in the park, obviously I'm with him all the time, but, um, or his nanny is, or his dad. Um, there's just that comfort level of safety, which is priority to me above everything. Um, and there's so many things for families to do here in Dubai. It's such a family-orientated city, I feel. It, it really, we, like, we are really, really spoiled. I, you know, I speak to friends back home and this is the choice. You know, in, in a city, on a weekend, you, know, you can be going to see a sloth in a biodome. You could be having a walk on you know, beautiful beaches. You can eat food from all over the world. And we're not doing play dates right now because of the pandemic, apart from kids in their bubble. But, you know, there are, I think, maybe like 11 different nationalities in my daughter's class and she's surrounded by food from all over the world via her, you know, classmate lunchboxes. And I genuinely, I was talking before about my first kind of meals in Dubai when I first arrived, went to Amala and Diafa Street, had shawarma for the first time, had tabbouleh. I think I probably had hummus for the first time. I'd never had sushi or paratha until I lived in Dubai in my 20s. But our kids have access to this all of the time, you know, flavours and spices and cooking techniques that would probably freak out your average chef on MasterChef during the, you know, the technique challenge with Scary Monica yeah. at the beginning. And that's, that's amazing. What about that kind of sense of community? Do you feel like that's something you've managed to build here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I feel more community here than I ever did when I lived in London. Um, 
I just feel, ex you know, whenever there's something that's happening within a certain, you know, Facebook group, for example, or someone's, you know, going through some issues, I feel like the community really gathers together to support one another. Um, when I moved to my recent home, um, I actually went around and knocked on everyone's doors, obviously with face masks on. Um, and I was greeted with so much warmth and people saying, oh, you know, we never get people knocking on our doors. This is so lovely to know our neighbours. And everybody was so welcoming. And I don't know, I feel like Dubai is such a melting pot of different cultures and, um, you know, ethnicities. And, and people are really... I find them personally very welcoming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Me too, me too. The thought of moving to London and not knowing anyone, absolutely beyond terrifying. But you move, to, move as an expat and people have been you. They've been like literally in your situation of rocking up and not, not knowing anybody. And we are lucky that we're here at this, you know, at this time in terms of technology. My mum moved to Abu Dhabi when she was 19 and it was a case of, you know, writing letters back home and the occasional phone call. And you know, there was no spinnies. There was a souk. Um, and, you know, that, that in 1977, I think it was a very, very different situation. And don't get me wrong, teaching the grannies how to Zoom was a pretty serious exercise in patience. But we are so lucky that the world feels like a smaller place, even though we're living, you know, thousands of kilometres away. And, mm. and what about the sense of, of going home? Do, 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 you, do you think your family have understood that this is this this could be it for you for for the foreseeable future or do you have any resistance i think they've i think they accepted that quite a while ago uh to be honest helen like i don't get me wrong i i love the uk and i love london and um you know my family um but there's reasons i moved to dubai all those years ago um i think dubai is very um accommodating to people with ambition especially entrepreneurs and um, there's so much opportunity here, so I can't see myself going back anytime soon, but I've never said never, you know, we always want to kind of keep the route open. Mm -hmm. Um, but for now, Dubai is, you know, firmly home for us. Um, but my family have accepted that and they're very supportive, you know, of our decisions. They know that we're, we're building our own routes, you know. And I think that's exactly it. Making, making your own traditions, starting you know, building your own community. And I think that's what you have to do when you're a grown-up, despite me regretting to a 15-year-old who asks my dad for a lift every time I go home. You know, we are, we are adults now, and this, this is the life that we've chosen. And I think we're incredibly lucky to be in this part of the world, and especially if look back over the course of the last year and think, my especially goodness. Now. Exactly. Yeah. Rio, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate your insights. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. And just remind people, if they want to join your online community, what's the best way of getting in touch? Yeah, they can find our private Facebook group, Home Club ME. Um, and we're also on Instagram. And, um, you know, there's lots of ways to kind of communicate with one another and, and work out ways to make your home more cosy and homely. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> really, really appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Stephanie Essek joining us now from Spinneys. What was your childhood sweets of choice growing up in South Africa? Um, I really loved chocolate log, which was um, quite a crispy chocolate base with sort of a marshmallowy, blurry mm. filling. Um, and then these crisps called ghost pops, which you can actually still get today. <gasps> they went away for a while, but they've come back. Um, yeah, so both of those. I love it when things come back due to popular demand. People are like, bring back the ghost pops. They probably cost like 
pennies, just absolutely nothing at all. Um, yeah, yeah, there's been big controversy in the UK over the size of a curly whirly. That's gone down. And the price of a Freddo has gone up. So, you know, we're talking sweets, but sometimes, you know, it's very, it's, it's, it's a dark business. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm absolutely loving everyone's messages this afternoon. I hope you're having a great Thursday. And we're looking in the pages of the brand new Spinnies magazine. It is on the shelves now. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> full of celebrations, full of recipes and full of some great features as well for getting people out and about in the UAE. And it's supper clubs we're talking about right now. Um, is it fair to say there's a pretty good scene in this fair city? Absolutely. And, I'm, you know, I thought that I kind of knew all of them and more and more just coming out of the woodworks. And it's exciting. Tell us a little bit around where it all began here in Dubai when it comes to supper clubs, because I heard about them from the UK maybe a decade ago. My brother-in-law was hosting them on a barge in East London. Like, can you get more hipster than that? I don't think you can. Um, and it became something of a tradition of chefs wanting to try out new recipes or looking for a bit of a side hustle, cooking in, in their own living rooms or taking over spaces. Dubai, when we think about having a business license, it started to get a bit murky, but people are formalising these arrangements now. And it's home cooks often opening up their homes, bringing people together. Is it always paid for? Is it invite only? I feel like they're kind of shrouded in mystery. Yeah, I, I think um, that's part of the charm and, and intrigue, right, is the mystery. I think they're all operating on their own sort of different, you know, um, booking mechanics. But what's been really interesting is to see how it's these home cooks who are just really welcoming people into their homes. And, and we thought we would really like to celebrate the home cooks. And that's why we decided to shine a light on them, because it's people who are doing this in their spare time that, you know, they have they have day jobs and um, but they're just passionate about cooking and want to share their cuisines or cuisines of other countries which they like to cook. So that's been quite interesting to discover as well. You know, you think it's OK, somebody's from, I don't know, Nicaragua, so you should expect Nicaraguan cuisine, but you are also seeing, you know, different options. What? Let's talk cuisine. What kind of options are there? Well, there is Nicaragua. <laughs> <part of> that. <laughs> um, so um, there's this wonderful supper club called uh, A Girl in the Goose, which is run by uh, Gigi or Gabriella. Um, and she's doing Nicaraguan food, but with a, a healthy twist. So she said, um, you know, that Nicaraguan is quite carb heavy. A lot of things are deep fried. And she's really concerned about like the health. And it actually started because she cared about her family's health. And so she's sort of looking at using alternative ingredients um, to still share Nicaraguan cuisine with the Dubai community. And then, I mean, there's everything from like Persian to Punjabi to Spanish being cooked by this um, Lebanese and Syrian couple. So it, it's really wonderfully diverse. We're going to be having a look at some of the options, uh, as you say, from all over the world. You've been able to sample some of them, of course, in terms of re researching for this article. I just get a bit a bit freaked out about the social side. Like, do you go with someone? Do you go on your own? What, like, what about conversation? As someone who spends uh, her afternoons talking. But, you know, I, I just I get a bit of social anxiety thinking about it. Yeah, look, I think it takes a special person to like originally sign up and go to one of these things because you're putting yourself in this really awkward situation. Um, I, I mean, I've been going to them for a number of years and I, I like to go by myself um, because it forces me completely out of my comfort zone. Uh, you know, there's always a bit of that awkwardness, but I think there, there are ways to get people talking. So a number of these clubs are providing questions that you could like pick out of a hat, you know, mm. and sort of start conversations. 
There's also rules, which actually, you know, can be quite difficult in the beginning. Some of them are saying, like, you can't ask those typical Dubai questions. So you can't say, where are you from? You know, and I mean, that's you sort of. I find myself, I'm really intrigued as to where people are from. And so it's, it's really hard. Like I spent the whole evening trying to guess, you know. Um, but I think you've just got to, I think if you like food and you like to learn about other cultures, just put yourself out there, you know. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? <laughs> Crying in the toilet because no one wants to talk to me. <laughs> um, but some of, some of these supper clubs have gone stratospheric. I mean, look at Neha from A Story of Food. For anyone who's not familiar with her story, can you give us a bit of background on where she is now, Tiffany? Yeah, so Neha started um, making ramen, um, and she was she opened up a supper club at her home. Um, and uh, I mean, it was really, really difficult to get a booking. I know it became this sort of real secret club to get into. Um, and she has actually opened up a restaurant, and it's it's you know it's doing incredibly well. I actually managed to get a booking into that next week. And sheer luck, I picked up the phone and tried my luck. Um, but you know, that's just it's so sort of um I think it shows other supper clubs what's out there mm-hmm. and what perseverance and you know passion can can deliver um and it's encouraging for the food scene I mean she was a she had a completely different job as her day job she just started this and now look she's managed to follow her dream absolutely amazing really really is it you're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Tiffany Eslek is with us, content director at Spinney's magazine, as we discuss the latest issue and delve between the pages about supper clubs. Uh, Joe's been in touch saying, we were lucky to join the Table Project Supper Club by Neither Sumar, which featured Mamoni cuisine from Pakistan. So delicious. I've had a look on her Instagram. It looks absolutely fab. So, Tiffany, you worked with six supper clubs, basically saying go to Spinney's, buy some things and then cook. And they did they invite people as normal then? And you got to go along and enjoy. Sounds brilliant. Yes. Yeah, they did. Um, and for many of them, they didn't let anyone, like the guests know that we were coming or what, you know, what the purpose was because we didn't want it to be too forced. Um, but it was a lot of fun kind of shopping with all of them. They, they sort of saw it as like a rush to the supermarket <laughs> and, you know, just watching what they what they usually buy from Spinney's, like, you know, um, Tanos at eight. They're really well known for their paella and Dover sole and they love to pick that up. So that was nice. Um, and just, uh, yeah, just watching them and to see what different people put in their, their trolleys. Let's talk food. So you mentioned mm. Girl and the Goose. So healthy, good ingredients, um, and I, I know that you actually worked. We were discussing zero alcohol drinks last week and some of the options that are available in store. And it was her husband that was making up some kind of creative mocktails as well. So what did you eat? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I just I want to eat it right now. So we had what I think one of the I'm going to pick highlights because I was will be here till tomorrow. Um, I loved there was an amazing uh, ceviche with coconut and mango and mm. sea bass which i thought was just like absolutely faultless um it was so fresh it was sort of islandy it, you know it was divine and then this really fantastic homemade cinnamon ice cream which she put on a tapioca waffle um and i don't usually like cinnamon and it was it was really delicious i mean i had three scoops of it um so yeah and then also some fantastic um cheese bread it's called panda casso and it's um it was sort of like uh, served in a dumpling container it was absolutely delicious as well so that was girl and the goose and then um, you mentioned and- um sultan and kinder uh, syrian and lebanese couple who have tanasa eight who make Paya, which is not, as you say, unexpected. Presumably you had that that night. 
Absolutely. And um, the Sultan cooks it on um, barbecues, which is, you know, Ooh, cool. the difference to this. And it's, I, I really, I wrote this in the article, I don't think I can ever eat it again if it's not cooked on a barbecue. Um, and watching him sort of cook between the two, so he makes a marisco, which is normal, you know, it's peppers and tomato, that kind of thing. And then he made one with squid ink, um, with actual squid rings as well. And then this amazing aioli, but he sort of moves between the two, like a DJ on the decks. Um, it was really <laughs> interesting in his backyard. Um, and then uh, Kinder is, makes this absolutely fantastic uh, burnt bust cheesecake. Mm. And mm. yeah, on the night of our supper club, she added this caramel sauce, which is just <laughs> so indulgent, but so good. That sounds amazing. I recently had the, the Basque cheesecake from Home Bakery. And mm. we took a slice home after having dinner and my husband put the AC on full blast. I was freezing, teeth chattering, but we did it for the greater good of getting the cheesecake home in good shape and it was absolutely worth it. Um, I understand you can actually order their food though. It's not just going to the supper club. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So with them and then also with Moorish by K, another one that we visited, um, you can. So if you just check it on Instagram and then you can see all the details, you know, once you start following them. Now, you also visited uh, Vikram at Curry Bureau, who I used to work with. When I was in magazines, he was um, our photographer and always passionate about food. And I love that he's managed to grow this into something that really involves other foodies across the city. Um, and the, I just have to say, the menu sounds amazing. He's a good friend of Neha from Story of Food. Um, but what did you eat then? So actually, Ankit went to that, but um, he came back sort of beaming and talking about it. I was unfortunately preoccupied. So it was all kind of Indian coastal cuisine. So apparently, Vikram was really, really good with the seafood. So um, like the, a mussel curry, uh, Omani prawns, you know, his, his fish is served in a banana leaf. Um, apparently, he works with someone um, for his dessert because he doesn't like to do that. But I am dying to get in there. So um, I need to make a booking. To, to, it sounds fantastic. So that's Curry Bureau. We've also had Persian cuisine. Tell me about Kuv. Sounds like a very interesting character. Yeah, so Kuv is actually probably the, the first person to have a supper club in Dubai. I think he started about four years ago. Former architect. Um, he lo- he's really into like acting and singing and dancing. So, you know, you can expect theatre <laughs> when you go. Um, and he's he puts so much thought and passion into everything. It's you you sit outside in his garden at this really low rise table. Um, he changes his menu every month, um, which is different to quite a few of the others. They sort of keep theirs for three months at a time. And he he has like all these sort of nods to like the old menu and one dish and the new menu to hint at what's coming. So there's a lot of like playfulness. And you have to take things along. So there's, he also does the whole like don't ask the Dubai questions, but you also have to take something for show and tell. And um, I was actually racing. <laughs> I, well, I was racing from work, and strangely, I have an inflatable mermaid Lilo, you know, one of those tail <laughs> things, um, in my office. From I don't know why. So I took that and managed to concoct a story about that. But you know, it, it's so interesting to see what people bring, and that's a really great conversation starter. So yeah, it was a lot of fun, and his food is really good. Now, as as you say, there's a full feature in the New Spinnies magazine highlighting the supper clubs that you guys were lucky enough to go along to but what about the rest of us what's availability like how far in advance do you need to book to get a seat at these tables 
So it really depends. The best thing is to watch what they're doing on Instagram. They will all put up their dates. And I mean, I would encourage you to book as fast as possible because they do sell out very quickly. Um, someone like Gitty June, who's one somebody else that we went to, she only does her supper club on a Saturday night. And so that's, it's, it's fantastic home-cooked Persian food. Uh, the whole Iranian community goes to her. I think you really need to get in there. Um, and yeah, so it's just watching on Instagram and, and trying your luck. But uh, yeah, <laughs> good luck, everyone. <laughs> We're going to be speaking to Amorish Bakay about what it's like to be hosting a supper club. Tiffany, always appreciate your time, your insights, your enthusiasm for food. And uh, how was your words? you got to keep it clean, please. <laughs> uh, I'd say sleepy, sleep snooze. I'm <laughs> with you. It's all about a nana nap for me this weekend after the ice bath. Tiffany Essek joining us from Spinney's magazine. The new issue is on the shelves full of beautiful photography, inspiration for what to pick up in store and some stories around what's happening here in the UAE. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking supper clubs on Farmer's Kitchen. One thing that has been somewhat criticised about supper club, clubs has been how exclusive or difficult they can be to, first of all, learn about them, second of all, actually get a seat at the table. Well, speaking now to co-founder of DRG Social, it's Andrew Burgess. He's setting up a supper club movement. They want to put the social back into supper clubs and humanise the dining experience, making it crucially accessible for all. Teaming up with Dubai man of mystery, Food Shake, who, despite me being in Dubai years and years, and him even sending me a mug, I still don't know his real name. And Andrew, you're not going to tell me today, are you? No. Oh, <laughs> damn, so annoying. Oh, so tell us a little bit about, well, where this idea came from. Well, I started looking at um, Dubai Restaurant Guide, which is basically taking and humanizing content from a customer point of view. So we aggregate Instagram um, customer generated content and now we're mapping it as we get ready to launch so then there's a map of Dubai you can click on a hotspot you can see that restaurant you can click on any of the customer content and get their context of Mm -hmm. what they feel not as in an influencer or paid content Mm -hmm. which is always going to be glowing but it's a true reflective. You can see what the image is, and an image paints a thousand words, as they say, or a picture paints a thousand words. So you can see the context. Nine times out of ten, your food will look exactly the same as that food, so you're not going to be disappointed. Yeah, like, we've say, all, for oh. example, a hamburger brand on thing, you know that hamburger is not going to look like you know. Poultry's Brightwood. Although, do you know what um, I heard recently? That um, a burger place on Beach Road called Lad's Burger, apparently... Mm. Even with travel time, it still looks exactly like you'd see on the menu. I'm willing to be a, a journalist for the, for the sake of the people this weekend and order a burger and, and report back. But you're so right, because, of course, places want to put themselves in the best possible light. You know, they want to make money. But the expectation versus reality, there can be a massive gap there and can often leave a bit of a bad taste in the mouth, really. So you're about the transparency, making sure the customer gets exactly what they're expecting. Humanising it, transparency, but also giving back to the restaurants Mm. because the last year they haven't had the greatest times. Um, So it's all about generating content. We get rights approval of the content that's displayed. It means we can then get the original image and give that to the restaurant on scale. So long as they're encouraging people to come into their restaurants and getting them to talk about them because they're doing such a good job, then they don't have to look at purchasing content through 
agencies and using that marketing budget that they've lost. That's where it initially started. And then I started to look at, well, how can we get more content and how can we get other people involved? So we looked at creating DRG Heroes, something myself and Fuche could discuss, and it's about rewarding or creating content and digital word of mouth about why a restaurant makes you go back. Mm. It might not be the food, it might be the location, but it mm. might be the service staff, it might be a certain waiter that just has the crack with you. Mm. So it's about highlighting them and creating a year campaign where more content comes in, more content that we can then give back to all the restaurants to use and speak about them and then reward those people at the end of the year. So then we started looking at, okay, maybe work with a hospitality industry or company or somebody within that field that could help on the reward side and look at it maybe as a CSR exercise. And then we thought, well, how do we get more people to create more content? Which is then where the DRG social came into mind. You've, so, you've said in the past that supper clubs have been a bit of an old boys club, depending on how much money you have or how many followers you have on Instagram. To a degree. I mean, if you look at a supper club, Supper clubs originated from, say, Rome and Roman times. It was the Roman Empire, and it was it was all boys. It was the men's side of it, but it was there was no social platform or standing. So you would have farmers, slaves, everybody, and it was all about pooling their resources in once a month to get together and create context and relationships. Hence, then becoming a powerful army. But then, if you go back further, uh, come closer in history. It was set up in Milwaukee and Wisconsin as a restaurant that is a social club. It was about giving back to the community, that restaurant, and creating better context and ties between the area that you live in. So it became more friendly. So it was accessible to all. It became a social club. People chatted. They made new friends and so on and so on. Fast forward to what you see in the UK, which is people going into house supper clubs or chefs showcasing themselves or being experimental. If you then start to look at, okay, Dubai as a movement, and through the concept, it's evolved somewhat in Dubai from that traditional experience of a social club, community, and restaurant environment to basically a business or a marketing strategy. It's now, you know, a hired event space with the term supper club. It's used to describe pop-ups or collaborations in restaurants. It's become so much more than chefs experimenting or getting to know people and that community basis of creating new friendships to more, well, it's dollar and it's dollar versus how much Instagram posts or likes Mm -hmm. these people can generate you. And that's why we're doing it. So we're going to make them free and accessible once a month, three-course dinner, using tasting classes and various other things, have chefs talking to the actual room, gastronomical three-course experience. But it's open to anybody free, but they have to earn it on merit as being part of Dubai Restaurant Guide. And that is by creating content about Dubai heroes, little briefs or restaurants that they found and hidden gems. It's about the content because that content's then right approved and we can deliver that content free of charge to that restaurant, saving them on their imagery and budget. What I really like about this is the idea of it being a peer-to-peer 
platform um, where, as you say, and, and there's nothing wrong with following people on social media because you like looking at their aspirational lifestyle, looking at the cars they're driving, the clothes they're wearing, the hotels they're staying in, and knowing that that's not going to be part of your life and just admiring it and enjoying the aesthetics and the escapism of it. But it's really important that there are realistic recommendations that you are listening to someone who you trust and go, do you know what, they probably earn about the same amount as me or they've got kids the same age as me or they live in the same area as me or I know they're, you know, I trust their food taste and you know they know what they're talking about and that's really invaluable because you feel like you're getting advice from a friend so when's it all starting and if people want to start getting social with drg social what what's the best way of getting involved at the moment we're just testing the software behind it um, because the mapping within it everything every image has a longitude and latitude um it has to be automated about approving the content um when you click on the content it will then on say if you posted about x restaurant it would show your image but it would click get in touch view the menu Mm -hmm. directions call whatever so i'm just testing all that technology but hopefully it'll be ready to launch by june love the ethos behind it i think as you say a really important time to be supporting restaurants and foodie entrepreneurs who've had a really really rough ride of it and anything we can do to help by having yeah is there such thing as a free lunch maybe there is (laughs) we will find out from june keep us posted andrew thank you helen welcome back to farmer's kitchen with spinnies eat well live well only on dubai i 103.8 We've been discussing Supper Clubs this afternoon. Delighted to be joined now by Cunwell, the founder of Moorish by Kay, who was featured in the Ladies Spinnies magazine um, and has been sharing some of those delicious dishes. It's healthy dishes with a Punjabi twist. It started as a food delivery business, has been doing all sorts of pop-ups with other homegrown concepts. So how does it work, Cunwell? Can you shed some light? And I'm sure we've got lots of people listening going, I'm a pretty good cook. I can, I'm, I'm pretty social. I Could I do this on the side? What happens behind the scenes in terms of licensing, preparation, the logistics? Well, I mean, I did start um, last year and it started as a delivery platform that I was, uh, that just grew into something that I had to mold according to what was happening in the market. When the restaurants kind of opened up again, the deliveries went down. So I had to kind of regroup and think about how to expand the business and that's when I started supper clubs Um, and supper clubs were sort of my focus um, on extracting information and trying to understand what to kind of do next so I think um, in terms of of an adaptation I think Mm -hmm. you have to kind of be um, all eyes and ears on the ground to kind of understand what's happening around you Um, licensing is um, I think it is important because um, you know as you want to sort of start as you mean to go on so if the business does expand and you want to go into trading and you want to go into a cloud kitchen Mm -hmm. then obviously a license is is necessary Um, if you do however there are lots of supper clubs around town that settle at just that and you know I don't think you need a license for that Um, I don't think some of them have licenses but I do think that if you want to turn it into something that goes onto a delivery platform, uh, working with aggregators, et cetera, et cetera, you would need a licence. Do it properly. So, yeah, properly. Can I ask you a bit of an awkward question, Kunwell? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to phrase it, but how do you choose who comes? Because if you get people requesting, <laughs> do you have a little look on the social media and go, oh, I'm not sure I want to have dinner with you? How, and putting people together as well, because that's an art in itself. Yeah. 
So luckily for me, it was the other way around. So I did the delivery first before I started the supper clubs. So I had already built kind of uh, a repertoire amongst the people that I was feeding. So for them, it was an opportunity to come in and come into my personal space mm-hmm. and kind of sit down and have a more personal meal um, and have a more sort of uh, one-to-one. But um, there is a little bit of a code amongst the supper clubs of a few names. Um, however, however, I think you just have to go with it with a little bit of faith and a little bit of a, a hope that everything runs smoothly and everyone's going to have a good time. And, you know, the more you overthink it, the more you're complicating it. And then you're sense. kind of almost, you know. <laughs> and can I ask, Tiffany was speaking earlier about some that are booked quite far in advance, some are a bit more flexible. Um, how does it work with booking through you um, and what should we eat when we come to you? I want to get a bit of a flavour for your food. So if people fancy coming along to Moorish by K, how to do it and what can they expect on the menu? So people DM me all the time on Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. I kind of respond to people within the hour. Um all times of the day um so they instagram and then they basically send me a message i take their details down and when i release dates i basically either put their names down that Mm -hmm. they've already kind of registered or what happens is is that i'll release a couple of dates and then the messages that i do get then responding to that i'll put them down and that's how they fill up and then talk Um, to me about the food and as i said it's healthy a punjabi twist what do you feel like on the current menu or an upcoming menu what are you really excited to serve So I think I'm trying to change the perception of our traditional food. When I say our, I say Punjabi. Punjabi could be Indian or Pakistani. Um, And then I've got a Persian flair in that. I'm trying to change because I think that there's a perception of it being quite heavy and quite rich um, and sort of not something that someone can eat all the time. Um, So I'm trying to change the perception of the taste profile being Punjabi or Persian, but in kind of a, a modern sort of twist. So if it was a biryani, it would be with quinoa or spelt or barley um, everything nothing is like deep fried there's no sugar there's no white rice you know so I'm trying to take away those elements and kind of bring a more wholesome approach to it oh so, well it sounds like it's going profile. it sounds like it's going brilliantly massive congratulations keep Thank doing you. what you're doing really fascinating to hear kind of what happens behind the scenes and <laughs> follow you on Instagram to get uh, get top you. of the list for the next few and I days hope to feed you soon. <laughs> I would absolutely love that as long as you sit me next to someone nice can <laughs> 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 well really appreciate it you can find her at Moorish by K that's on Instagram You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are rounding up the latest foodie news now with Hassan Montasso. He's the man behind The Lighthouse, co-founder of a homegrown concept here in Dubai. Cindy Tariq recently opened up Mall of the Emirates, occupying a prime spot up on the third floor. Hashim, and before we start talking about the latest news, I'm very curious. One, how long have you been in the UAE? And two, what were the sweets of your childhood? Hi, Helen. Nice Hi. to hear from you. Um, well, to your first point, I've been there since two, been here since 2005. So we're looking at 16 years, Whoa. which does not feel like 15 years, but it has been 15 to 16. So this is officially the second longest stay I've had anywhere beyond uh, where I grew up, which mm-hmm. is uh, Cairo, Egypt, where I'm from. So yes, quite significant. And, and what were the things you were feasting on? What was young Hashem asking his, his family for with his, with his pocket money or sneaking out of the cupboards? 
Yeah, so I have to I have to admit, so growing up in Cairo, um, there was this little French pastry shop next door to us in a hotel, which I must say I've been to a few times, and they used to have this fantastic carrot cake. So I know that sounds a bit, but it was sort of this French chef that decided, pastry chef decided to move to Cairo, and just did all these different pastries, which are great, but the carrot cake always stood out to me, so um, used to be me and my sister sneaking up and, and getting a carrot cake when we could. And it's all come full circle because there is carrot cake on the menu at Lighthouse <laughs> at Mall the Emirates. And one was thrust into my hands when I went a few weeks ago. And I, I will not name the, the other place that serves carrot cake, but it was like, let us, know what, let us know what you think. It was absolutely delicious. So have you got a bit of a sweet tooth yourself then in, in normal life? Well, first of all, thank you. It, it is definitely come full circle. And I actually thought the exact same thing would be. <laughs> so this is a new uh, dish on our menu. So Mall of Emirates has a number of dishes that are exclusive to this location versus D3, just to change things up a bit. And carrot cake is one of them. And I actually thought exactly that. I was like, oh, my God, carrot cake is back in my life. <laughs> so, and subconsciously, after... <laughs> I need to put it in the world. Exactly. And after the first week of opening, I literally had to stop myself. <laughs> Because I was lit every day finding an excuse to either have one or invite a friend and say, you just have to try the carrot cake. Um, So that was a bit of a problem. And I have very much a sweet tooth that I inherited from my mother. The first step is acknowledging that you have a problem. Um, Uh, I am way, way in the first step, probably the second. And I'm looking for solutions. Well, as I said, Lighthouse is just, it's a fantastic, as I said, homegrown concept, but this isn't your background. You were in finance for a long time. Why did you take the decision to move from the banking world into food? You know, to be honest, it wasn't even quite like that. I spent about 15 years in banking, you know, first on Wall Street and then building asset management businesses in the region. And I felt that at some point I wanted to do something different. I didn't know it would be F&B related. I knew I wanted to start my own business. I had all these creative ideas. And when D3 opened, it seemed like the perfect fit for us. And we actually started the concept thinking about a concept store first, funnily enough, which is part of the concept today as well. And then we said, well, you know, if we're going to do concept store, let's add food because then we'll get more footfall. So the restaurant part was sort of added on, but then took off very quickly when we opened in 2017. And, you know, slowly we found ourselves, Tanya and my partner, uh, in the food business. And it's been a great ride. I mean, it's been four years and learning all the time, adapting all the time. And weirdly enough, a lot of the concepts that we, so we were both in finance and actually worked together for a long time. A lot of the concepts and the learnings that I've had from building asset management businesses, how do you put a team together? Mm-hmm. How do you create a culture? The, the infrastructure, whether it's in finance or in F&B, needs to be strong, your operational know-how. All of these things actually came quite handy. And obviously also the fact that we know how to read numbers. So a lot of well, people no, <laughs> forget that, that F&B but that, but that's, is that's about crucial. That. And unfortunately, we do see a lot of businesses failing, not just here in the UAE, but internationally, because you've got people who go... I love food. I love eating. I should open a restaurant without understanding the logistics and the, you know, I don't want to say boring side, but to me, it would be the boring side. So as no, a- you, you are right. And, and you and I have spoken about this a few times, even in other businesses. So I really try to encourage a lot of creative people that I see around me and I invest in startups as well. So mm-hmm. tech companies and others um, to follow their dreams. And if they are hyper creative, which many are, and have ideas, that's great. I'm not saying you should restrict that. 
But then make sure you have to have someone with you that covers, as you said, the kind of more boring side, understands, you know, costs, which are very, very crucial in the early stage of a business, including F&B, understands, you know, what's the margin, how do you grow the revenue lines, etc. Or, you know, ask for help. And, and, and we talked about this before you and I sort of offline. There's many people that have this background that love to lend it to someone creative. So I think a mix works really well. But ultimately, what you want is you want to look for a business that you can scale and that has longevity. And yes, so, so understanding numbers and keeping your costs under control is, is unfortunately part of it. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Looking at the latest food news this afternoon with the co-founder of The Lighthouse, Hashim Mantasa, joining us. They've just opened their new um, location at Mall of the Emirates. And now I want some carrot cake. Um, so let's go to the headlines because 11 Madison Park has been always up there when we look at the, the list of the best so-called restaurants in the world. Um, it's former world number one. It's resuming service in June 10. And CEO and chef Daniel Hum has announced that when it opens after 15 months of closure, it's going to do so without any meat or seafood-based items on the, on the menu. Nothing. So super radical decision. It's going to be the only restaurant with three Michelin stars in the world to have completely cut animal products from its menu. Good move, bad move. Hashem, what's your take? We know how much vegan um, eating has exploded internationally and here in Dubai over the course of the last few years. But for 11 Madison Park to make this move, what was your reaction? Yeah, look, I think it's exactly what you said. It's definitely a radical move. And just to put a bit of context, you know, I, I, I know um, I used to live in New York. I used to live not very far from where 11 Madison is, still is. Uh, in the Credit Suisse building. So I remember the opening of that restaurant and the big hoopla. And to give further context, this was, restaurant was actually started by Danny Meyer, who is, you know, of Union Square Cafe fame, Shake Shack fame, many other very well-known uh, restaurants in New York and now uh, all over the U.S. And uh, Danny Ham, uh, Daniel Ham was his chef, him, and, uh, and then he has another guy called Will Godara, so they were partners. And... Recently, well, Danny Meyer first sold them his shares, mm-hmm. and then Gidara left. Now Dan Ham is alone. I'm telling you this because I think if he had those partners, I think it would have been very difficult to make such a radical decision. So sometimes being a solo owner helps. Mm-hmm. And I think he's now in a position where he's elevated. He's not only the head chef. He's also, the, I think, the main majority owner, which I just think takes a lot of It's very ballsy, very gutsy move. Mm-hmm. Having said that, like you just said, the trends are changing. And I think 11 Madison has always been at the forefront of food and food innovation. So I really salute him for kind of coming in so early. I think a couple of years from now, we'll probably all look back and say, you know, it made sense because it puts him right at the forefront of innovation. Having said that, mm -hmm. you know, there's diehard fans of 11 Madison. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, they're not going to go back. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's interesting. Exactly. Like, I mean, many of us are meat lovers, right? So, so, and they had some dishes that everybody loved. So it's going to be very interesting to see the reaction of the customers when they reopen. It's going to be interesting, as you say, to see if the loyalty is going to lie with a restaurant or with dishes. And that's what I always find interesting when, you know, companies scale up or they open new branches such as you have. You know, how much do you want to keep items on to keep customers happy? How, or how much do you want to evolve with your chef or as a restaurant? Um, and, you know, as, as you say, in a couple of years' time, we'll probably look back and go, that was absolutely the right thing to do. We were on the wrong side of history saying that was, you know, radical and, and, and a bit out there. But from, from your point of view, when you've got chefs, 
types and people come in with restrictions or allergies or, you know, and we're talking about veganism in this case. Um, how responsive are they? Because I've spoken to chefs who actually really welcome that creative challenge. Yes, it depends. So I think many chefs, you remember when delivery started up just before the pandemic and you talked to a lot of chefs and they'd say we'd never do delivery, right? And guess what? The pandemic came commercially, it wasn't going to be viable and many of them adapted. So I think this is similar. A couple of years ago, I remember going to restaurants and, you know, people would roll their eyes if you were vegan or ask for something that's gluten-free. I think all of that is changing. Um, And I think he wants to position himself at the forefront of this, which makes sense. Now, two other thoughts here. Thought number one, which is a bit cynical, but just interesting nevertheless, is, you know, how will he price his new dishes? Because ultimately, having meat and other sort of animal, uh, animal-based animal dishes means that you can price them quite high because they cost more, let's, let's face it, to buy. Now, will he price his vegan dishes at the same price, which ultimately could mean a higher margin for the restaurant? Mm, there's the numbers you know man I mean? coming out. No, I had never even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. You know, a portobello mushroom costs know, a lot less than a steak. That's exactly right. So now he's going to make an argument and it's a fair argument that obviously they're sourcing the best mushrooms and, you know, that, that there's a lot of thought and the R&D has a price. But is it as high as keeping the price point where it was? And if not, you know, then 11 Madison becomes a slightly different price point that changes the image. So mm-hmm. that's going to be very interesting, interesting thing to see. The second point is the point you made, which I think you hit um, the nail on the coffin, it, it is a, a dilemma many restaurants go through as you start growing. You know, if you have this one dish or a few dishes that are classics that everybody loves, do you keep them when you expand or when you redefine your restaurant? Or do you just continue innovating? And I think it's, there's no right or wrong here. There needs to be a balance. And one of the things you have to do is be in constant touch with your customer base and your stakeholders to get feedback. So a lot of restaurateurs and chefs do all of this in their heads. And my advice here is that the best thing you can do is try a few things. People will forgive you if you're trying, but take their feedback seriously. And I, I, I'm betting he will, do, he will do that as well. Well, that's interesting because how would you feel if, you know, at the, at the new location at Morby Emirates, a dish that hasn't been carried through from D3 and people going, please, we came here to get our favorite XYZ and it's not on the menu. How many people would it take to change your mind about that? That's, that's a very good point. So what we've done is, is uh, a bit of a balance here. So we've kept most of the classic dishes that we know are very popular in D3. And what we've done is we've added a few dishes, um, like the carrot cake and you know, a few others that we felt are appropriate both for the location and the kind of care and tell that we expect mm-hmm. to see there. Um, and, and then we wait and see. You know, in a couple of months, we'll have data points to see are people still gravitating to kind of the classic lighthouse dishes or are they adopting the new ones? I mean, I'll tell you very early days. We haven't been open even a month yet. But we have a, um, we have a salad on the menu, an artichoke salad on the menu, kale and artichoke salad. We have a few other dishes, including the carrot cake that I spoke about. Pizza. That have already been adopted <laughs> quite quickly. So it's, it, it's, I'm hopefully rewarding the idea that we're willing to kind of go over and above and not just keep repeating the same thing. So, but, uh, uh, it's pretty uh, dead, which... uh, Hashim, before I let you get back, because I know Thursdays are busy in the restaurant world, if people are going to Molly Emirates this weekend and, you know, maybe popping in to uh, the Apple Store, which is next, next door to you, or going to see the Banksy exhibition, which I went to last night, and uh, want to come and have, uh, 
have a meal, which you absolutely should, what do you feel like you cannot dine at the lighthouse and not eat? If you haven't had it, you haven't had the experience. I know it's a bit like picking a favourite child, but go on, put together your yeah, dream menu. No, I mean, I think, look, uh, there's many, many dishes. Lentil salad and Greek salad are two classics that come to mind on the salad side. The, the new kale and artichoke, artichoke salad is brilliant. I would try that. In terms of mains, I would say try the pizza. We have a truffle pizza on the menu now. That's new. Um, you can never go wrong with a truffle rigatoni. So two great truffle dishes that we have. And then I think I love, I mean, we have an underrated salmon with okra on the menu that I really love. So try that and then finish it all off with a carrot cake. Tummy's rumbling across Dubai, Hashim. Thank you so much. (laughs) Always interesting to get your take on these things. And congratulations again to you and Hani on the opening of the new branch. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking food as ever. It is Farmer's Kitchen and your last chance to get out of touch and tell us the sweets, the candies, the chocolates or even the desserts that remind you of your childhood. This is for your chance to win 500 dirhams to spend in store. And if you wanted to go wild and spend it all on sweets, then you'd have absolutely no judgment from me. Speaking to us now, we've got Ankit Gulabani, the social media manager at Spinneys, to share some recipes for the seasonal fruits that you should be picking up this weekend and crucially what to do with them. But before we start fruit talk, let's talk sweet talk. Ankit, what, what comes to mind when you think about, you know, the toothache inducing treats of your childhood? Um, I used to really enjoy Milky Bar treats. <laughs> you get these Milky Bar candies. Yeah. Yes, I, I still love Milky Bar. Oh, Milky Bar's the best. Did you have the same adverts as us being the, like the, the kid cowboy? Be like the Milky yeah. Bars are on me. Yeah. I bet yeah. he's gone off the rails. He looked like the kind of child star that probably has a very troubled adult life. I'm going to Google him in a, after five o'clock. Um, so, Anki, let's talk recipes. Um, the new issue of Spinney's magazine is available. It's on the shelves and it's, as ever, full of gorgeous photography and some brilliant ideas and inspirations. We're in kind of prime growing season for some of the countries that you work with. Tomatoes, I think, being having been in store recently, one of the most bountiful examples and some brilliant varieties in there. Um, what are we doing? I understand there's a pickle in the mix. Yeah, there is a pickle. It's a, it's a, it's a popular pickle and you can find it in many, many homes. Uh, it's a very common achar. Or you can say it's, that's what it's referred to. But uh, yeah, essentially it's a tomato pickle that's pickled whole. So you, you cut slits into it and then you place coarse salt inside. Mm. And this draws out the moisture from the tomatoes. And uh, yeah, this is, this is what helps it start the pickling process. See, I love a pickle. I was just hearing, I was thinking about you earlier actually, because there's, guess what, another TikTok trend. And <laughs> it's eating pickled garlic buying pickled garlic but then adding thyme and korean chili flakes and coarse salt and i was like actually that sounds pretty delicious so this is pickling tomatoes rather than making a chutney of, of sorts so you take out the seeds you add in some of that coarse salt to bring the moisture yeah. out and so basically it's not sloppy so you, you know it's, it's not kind of tomato water with some fruit floating around in it and then what about spices how are we getting some good uh, warmth and flavor in there so in the recipe that we have included in the magazine you can add a whole fresh chili cayenne pepper fennel seeds cumin seeds you know it is so versatile that like just now your tiktok trend with the pickled garlic you can add that in and then how would you serve this what what do you think it would go well with or in 
Um, so it's great as a side. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're having maybe like uh, a rice with like dal or something, then you can have maybe this tomato pickle on the side or it's just on a piece of bread, toasted bread, some tomato pickle on top of that and, ju- and some cheese. Yes. That would be fantastic. Like a posh cheese and pickle. I love that. Yeah. All right. Posh brilliant. Cheese. So that's pickling tomatoes. Um, you've got a tomato kibbe in the uh, in the mag which i've never ever heard of so is this is this like a meat replacement are you swapping out the lamb or or, can you explain a bit more yes so we we've swapped out the lamb and uh, you've cooked the bulgur separately and the tomatoes are roasted separately and then they are combined just with a few pulses in the food processor Mm -hmm. so you don't want to get like you want to keep that kibe consistency you want to have it coarse Um, if because you don't want to run the mixer too long otherwise you're going to end up with something too fine and pureed that is then just set and chilled so this results in like a fresher flavor rather than deep frying or a kibe or um, uh, baking the kibe so yeah, it's kind of like a tomato tata meets a kibbe. Uh, oh, I love the sound of that. That sounds like a good kind of springtime dish. How do you then do you then cook it, or is it just kind of molded? You you don't cook it. You can just you just have to chill it. So mm. after the cooked bulgur and the cooked tomatoes are done, they have done their thing. Then you kind of bring it together. Uh, you let the bulgur sit with the tomatoes so that it kind of absorbs all of the juices and thickens up really nicely in the refrigerator while it's chilling. And yep, then you serve. That that some. sounds pretty easy. Now speaking okay. of pulsing. If you go to Dubai Eyes Instagram today, um, earlier this morning, we posted my attempt at baked oats. Let's just say it didn't go well. All of the reviews, everyone's like, oh, it's like having cake for breakfast. I think that either the oats I cooked with were massive or I just need to get a better food processor. Mine was basically flapjack. So if you want to see a cooking fail, go to at Dubai I 1038FM. Also, a lot of people cook it with chocolate or uh, peanut butter or banana. I don't like peanut butter and I don't like banana. So I think maybe, Anki, this is one that you need to give a whirl. So from tomatoes to mangoes. Now, it was through Farmer's Kitchen about two years ago. I went in with the chef to the kitchens at Dipachika and said, we're making a mango shrimp burrito. I love shrimp. I love burrito. I'm not a massive fan of mango. It's like they always taste like perfume. Oh, my goodness. That day completely converted me. We had the most delicious ripe mango squeezed with lime juice. And I've become a complete convert, an, an addict, if you will. Uh, where do you think the best mangoes come from? And do you get excited about mango season? I do get excited about mango season. And, and also the best mangoes come from India. <laughs> I thought you might say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we making with the mangoes if people are picking some up this weekend? There is a fantastic amba sauce that amba refers to mango okay. in the magazine. And it is a fantastic condiment to add to your sandwiches. It is one of my favorites because um, it's like traditionally also, like you find it in Iraq and Saudi Arabia. A great way to eat this is with some fried eggplant, mm. uh, some boiled eggs, and this amber sauce, uh, and uh, some tahina also. Why not? Uh, it, it is so delicious. You must try it with your pita. Oh, so, so, it, so it, it, if it's mango, so it's a bit sweet, a bit tangy. What other flavors are in there? 
So it is supposed to be more tangy than sweet. Okay. So the kind of mango that you pick is it's very important. So okay. if your mangoes are really ripe, it's possible the sauce will taste too sweet. So you have to counter this by adding in more lemon or lime juice to kind of like keep that tartness there. What about spices and even herbs in there? What works well with mango? So we have an amba spice mix. So it has fenugreek, turmeric, dried lumi lime, mustard seeds, yellow mustard seeds, not the black ones, cayenne pepper, and and the secret ingredient, amchur, which is dry mango powder. Never heard of amber or amchur, so every day is a school day. Um, is this something you'd make on the day for dinner or lunch that night, or is it something you could make a batch of and, you know, store, and if so, how? I have, like, a big jar of this in my refrigerator right now, <laughs> and it's, it's well for quite a long time in the refrigerator, actually, as long as it's sealed airtight. I love the sound of this. This sounds right up my Jabal Ali. I love a pickle. I love mangoes. Okay, our last recipe of the day is a baked lemon gold feta cheese. We're baking feta, which the internet uh, (laughs) knows only too well now. Feta sales have gone through the roof. You can end up with a spread, but uh, it's very easy to turn it into a dip also, if you like. Bake mm-hmm. the feta mm-hmm. with l- slices of lemon gold. Lemon gold is one of my favorite kind of lemons. They come from South Africa. They're seedless and they are the best. Yeah, you can turn this into a dip by placing the feta with as many lemon slices as you like in the blender. Blitz until smooth. Then you add a little bit of water or sour cream to dilute or add a bit of creaminess if it is kind of looking a little clumpy. And what would you dip in the dip? It goes so well with like crack or like if you can even like double it up as a pasta sauce of course Um, love the sound of that so baked lemon gold feta cheese thank you oh you're making me hungry would you would you pop some of your amber sauce in the back of a cream and pop some over to the studio because of course thank you really appreciate it have a wonderful weekend ahead and now I'm craving mangoes and milky bars (laughs) your work is done thanks again (laughs) bye now thank you bye You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Don't forget, you can tune in live to Farmer's Kitchen every single Thursday afternoon on Dubai Eye 103.8 between 2 and 5 p.m.